Book Two, Chapter Five of Strangers and Pilgrims. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braden. Book Two, Chapter Five. Et je songeais comme la femme oublie et je sentais un lambeau de ma vie qui se déchirait lentement. Mr. Ford had come up from Scotland on the 10th of July, intending to surprise Elizabeth by his unexpected appearance in Eaton Place. He had fancied her bright look of rapture as she came into the room and saw him, after having been told only that a gentleman from Hawley wished to see her the look she had given him so many times during the brief happy fortnight that followed their betrothal those happy days in which they had enjoyed for but too short a space the privileges of plighted lovers had walked alone together on the dull march afternoon when the curate's labours allowed him such a blessed interval and had talked of the future they were to share a lowly destiny but with the light of true love shining upon it thus had he thought of his betrothed during the tedious journey from the north tedious though he travelled express for the greater part of the way he came fresh from the performance of a mournful duty for only two days ago he had read the funeral service above the remains of his father's brother the bachelor uncle who had been almost a second father to him he had not even written to tell elizabeth of his uncle's death it would be easier to tell her when they met he had made all his plans he meant to stay in london for a few days while elizabeth wound up her visit and then to take her back to devonshire with him and then it would be time to think of their wedding day he was richer by some four hundred a year since his uncle's death and he had lately received the offer of a very fair living in the north of england since he had surrendered his old heroic idea of his ministry and had determined that his lines were to be cast in pleasant places there was really nothing to hinder the realization of his wishes only when he was rattling along in a cab between Euston Square and Eaton Place did he bethink himself that Elizabeth would in all probability be out. It was nearly nine o'clock, and she went out so much as her letters informed him. He could hardly hope to be so fortunate as to find her at home. And then he reproached himself for this childish foolishness of his in wishing to surprise her instead of telegraphing the announcement of his advent as a sensible man would have done do love and folly always go hand in hand he wondered his forebodings of disappointment were fully realized not at home said mrs chavanie's single-handed indoor servant a man whose pompous bearing might have impressed strangers with the idea that he had an underbutler and a staff of accomplished footmen for his vassals not expected home till late this evening 
mr forde had alighted from his cab and stood in the stuccoed porch despondent have you any idea where they're gone he asked any idea indeed why the butler was as familiar with his mistress's engagements as that lady herself they are gone to the amateur theatricals at the rancho mr sinkmarsh's place at fulham amateur theatricals repeated malcolm hopelessly yes replied the butler who was of a communicative disposition my missus niece miss luttrell hacks the principal character and my missus maid as has seen her rehearsaling and has gone down to dress her this evening says she do hack wonderful just like the regular thing only not so low it's a pity you didn't buy a ticket sir as you're a friend of de family private theatricals and his wife-elect the centre of observation he was not straight-laced or puritanical in his ideas but this performance hardly seemed to him in harmony with the part she had elected to play in the drama of life but she had been minded to taste the cup of pleasure and she was evidently drinking its strongest waters she had told him nothing of these amateur theatricals a curious reticence buy a ticket he repeated echoing the friendly butler do you mean the tickets have been sold it is a public business then well sir it is and it isn't as you may say the performance is for the benefic of a charitable institution the indigent widows and mrs cinqmars have kindly lent her house for the occasion and the tickets have only been sold by the committee so you see it's public from one point of view and private from the other where could i get a ticket asked the curate moodily this public exhibition this playing at charity was just the very last thing he could have desired for his future wife just the very thing he would have forbidden at any cost had he been afforded the opportunity of forbidding it and to keep it hidden from me he thought a bad beginning to that perfect trust which was to reign between us i don't know as you could get one anywhere to-night sir replied the butler thoughtfully unless i was to get it for you my missus is on the committee and i know she had a lot of tickets to sell and kept em up to yesterday in a china basket in the drawing-room if they're there still i might take the liberty of getting one for you being for a charitable purpose i don't think missus would object to my disposing of one give me one then like a good fellow the tickets are a guinea each said the butler doubtfully thinking this eager gentleman might ask for credit mr ford took a handful of loose money from his pocket here are thirty shillings he said a guinea for the ticket and the balance for your trouble the man was gratified by this donation for in these degenerate days veils are an uncertain quantity he produced the ticket speedily instructed mr ford as to the nearest way to the rancho guarded the wheel of the hansom as he got into it and delivered the curate's address to the charioteer with as grand an air 
as if he had been instructing the coachman of an archbishop british hotel cockspur street he said and thither mr ford was driven by way of belgrave square and birdcage walk a nota bene on the gilt-edged ticket informed him that full dress was indispensable he dined hastily in the deserted coffee-room a sorry dinner for he was in that frame of mind in which dining is the most dismal mockery a mere sacrifice to the conventionalities dined and then went to his room and dressed hurriedly with his thoughts strangely disturbed by this trivial business of the private theatricals but it was not trivial for elizabeth's reticence had been a tacit deception it was not trivial for unless she had been utterly wanting in love's truthful instinct she must have known that this public exhibition of herself would be of all things the most hateful to him he was not a tyrant he had never meant to tyrannize over this fair young creature who had made him love her in very spite of his own will but he had meant to mould her into the shape of his own fairer ideal the woman whose claim to manly worship was somewhat higher than the splendor of her eyes or the golden glory of her hair the perfect woman nobly planned he had fondly hoped that in elizabeth there was the material for such a woman that he had only to play the sculptor in order to develop undreamt of graces from this peerless block of marble there were some letters waiting for him at the british letters which had been sent on from lenorgi where they arrived after his departure he had spent the day and night after the funeral with a friend in edinburgh where he had business to transact two were mere business epistles the third was in a hand that was strange to him rather a singular hand with straight up and down letters but of an angular scratchy type which he felt must be feminine it bore the postmark of hawley it was that snake in the grass an anonymous letter mr ford will be perhaps surprised to learn that miss luttrell has given much encouragement to an aristocratic admirer during her stay in london she has been seen on the front seat of lord paulyn's four in hand returning from epsom races a circumstance which has occasioned some talk among the straight-laced inhabitants of hawley this friendly hint is sent by a sincere well-wisher hawley july seventh an aristocratic admirer lord paulyn she has suffered her name to be associated with his so much as to give an excuse for this venomous scrawl i will not believe it the venom is self-engendered this vile letter is from some envious woman who hates her for all the gifts that render her so much more charming than other women he crushed the venomous scrawl in his strong hand and thrust it into the depths of a remote pocket yet however mean the spirit of the anonymous slanderer however contemptible the slander it stung him not the less as such venom does sting 
in spite of himself i shall see her face to face he thought in an hour or two shall be able to scold her for her folly and take her to my heart for her penitence and be angry with her and forgive her and adore her in the space of a minute and i shall see the scorn in her proud eyes when i tell her she has been accused of encouraging my rival the drive to the rancho gave mr ford ample leisure for thought for going over and over the same ground with an agonizing repetition of the same ideas for the amplification of those vague doubts those little clouds in love's heaven no bigger than a man's hand until they grew wide enough to darken all the horizon the shades of fulham seemed endless he stopped the driver more than once to ask if he were not going wrong but the man told him no he knew bishop's lane well enough close again putney bridge and the locality of the rancho as indicated by mr ford's ticket was bishop's lane they drove into the lane at last a dismal by-road between high walls just wide enough for a couple of carriages to pass each other with imminent peril of grazing the wheels or the horses against a wall one could hardly have expected to find a suburban paradise in such a neighborhood and in spite of his preoccupation mr ford looked about him with surprise as the hansom dashed in at an open gateway made a swift circuit of a dark shrubbery of almost tropical luxuriance and anon drew up before a long low house lighted like a fairy palace he gave his ticket to a functionary who looked like a professional box-keeper and was admitted to a spacious chamber filled to overflowing with a fashionable-looking audience the play was more than half over there was only standing-room and the central figure of the group on the brightly lighted stage the focus of every eye was the girl he loved the perfect woman nobly planned etc he was but mortal so he could not withhold his admiration of her grace and beauty and was half inclined to forgive her because she was so lovely and gracious a creature then the curtain fell at the close of the second act and the men in front of him began to talk of her and he heard what the world thought of elizabeth luttrell the blow almost stunned him he heard much more than has been recorded heard how men talked of his perfect woman heard mrs chevenix's manoeuvres freely discussed and elizabeth's cooperation in all the matron's schemes spoken of as an established fact his first and almost irresistible impulse was to knock the slanderers down he felt as unregenerately minded upon the point as if he had come fresh from the mess-table his brain fired with wine and laughter but he conquered the inclination and stood quietly by and heard from the lips of some half-dozen speakers what the world thought of the woman he loved it was not that anything specially ill-natured was said 
the men hardly knew that their remarks were derogatory to womanly dignity it was their way of discussing such topics but for malcolm ford it meant the ruin of that new scheme of life which he had made for himself the airy fabric built by hope and love perished like an enchanted city that melts into thin air at the breaking of a spell he did not for a moment suspend his judgment did not stay his wrath to consider how much or how little justification there might be for this careless talk these men spoke of facts spoke of elizabeth's engagement to the viscount as a fact concerning which there could be no doubt and she had doubtless given them ample justification for this idea she had been constantly seen in his society he spooning odious word in a manner that made his passion obvious to the eyes of all men could he take this woman her purity forever tarnished by such contact home to his heart was such a woman who with her faith plighted to him could surrender herself to all the follies of the town and link her name with yonder profligate was such a woman worthy of the sacrifice he had been prepared to make for her the sacrifice of the entire scheme of his life theory and practice alike abandoned for her sake she would have made me a sensuous fool he thought content to dawdle through life as her father has done living at my ease and making coals and beef and blankets the substitute for earnest labor among my flock what might she have made of me if my eyes had not been opened in time i loved her so weakly he put his passion already in the past tense he had no thought of the possibility of his forgiving the woman who had deceived him so basely of course she meant all the time to marry lord paulyn if he proposed to her but in the meanwhile for the mere amusement of an idle hour she made love to me he thought bitterly remembering that nothing had been farther from his thoughts than proposing to elizabeth when she laid in wait for him that march night and cut off his retreat for ever with the fatal magic of her beauty and the tones and looks that went straight to his heart he must see her as soon as the play was over must cast her out of his life at once and for ever must make a swift sudden end of every link between them i might write to her he thought but perhaps it would be better for us to meet once more face to face if it is possible for her to justify herself she shall not be without the opportunity for such justification but i know that it is impossible when the curtain had fallen for the last time and elizabeth had curtsied her acknowledgment of a shower of bouquets and the enthusiasm in the parterre was still at his apogee mr ford departed not to-night would he break in upon her new existence let her taste all the delights of her triumph to-morrow would be time enough 
for the few quiet words that were needed for his eternal severance from the woman he had loved. End of Book Two, Chapter Five. Recording by John Brandon.